0: So I want to come back to this hated one because, of course, we had you in to do a conference for us uh, yesterday, and uh, and in the midst of doing that, uh, you mentioned uh, the way in which the culture is Mm -hmm. turning more hostile, and you pointed out – I thought it was one of the most fascinating parts of what you did yesterday – you pointed out the kinds of laws that are being Mm. considered and passed today, which kind of is a snapshot of kind of where we are, what we're dealing with. can you uh, share some of those? Uh, I mean, it ran from things as as mundane uh, as uh, I will say it, bathrooms, flowers, and cake. Okay. <laughs> so, what do bathrooms, flowers, and cake have to do with uh, have to do with where
2: we are culturally? Well, there's been a trend uh, just in this last year of uh, folks from um, the LGBT. Uh, movement, if you want to call it that, Uh, going to Christian vendors in various states from the wedding industry, uh, Christian bakers, Christian florists, Christian photographers, Mm -hmm. and saying, hey, will you photograph our same-sex wedding? Will Mm -hmm. you make a cake for our same-sex wedding? Uh, And there are uh, three cases right now, one in Colorado, one in Oregon, and one in New Mexico. in each of these cases, because of laws that the state had passed that are Mm -hmm. anti-discrimination, these Christians are on trial for holding to their religious convictions. So, uh, in Colorado, this uh, baker, um, I believe his name is Richard Phillips, he um, he actually is standing before the Colorado Human Rights Commission mm-hmm. and could face up to 12 months in jail mm-hmm. because he refused to bake a cake for, for a same-sex couple. That sounds really radical, but it's, it's actually happening. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm not trying to be dramatic. And in, in Oregon, it's um, the, uh, the labor of uh, the bureau of labor mm-hmm. um the the baker up there she faces a $50,000 fine for each homosexual person she wouldn't
0: bake a cake for In even New- though those people can go somewhere else and find a cake to be baked or get flowers and so so you're saying they're being targeted
2: uh, that seems to be the trend. There's actually uh-huh. there's actually other um, – in the Midwest and in the Northeast, there mm-hmm. are um, event planning companies, um, uh, wedding locations, uh, other bakers, a t-shirt company, all owned by Christians mm-hmm. um, where uh, it doesn't seem to be an accident that folks are coming in and saying, hey, can we do this? No? Okay, then, then uh, we're going to call the authorities. So, you know, in New Mexico, the New Mexico State Supreme Court already ruled. Mm-hmm. And in their ruling, which you can, you can look up the exact wording online, uh, but they ruled against the Christian photographers because of the way this statute was written in New Mexico. And uh, the, the, one of the judges in the ruling ex- actually wrote um, uh, that these folks are, quote, compelled by law to violate their religious beliefs. The law demands it. And, uh, you know, obviously we, we live in a state, in a country where every state's laws are, are developing and getting tested in courts. Um, but, uh, you know the, this. There is a trend that mm-hmm. is going this way, and um, we see a lot of these laws, mostly in California. Uh, California, about a year ago, signed into law a, a bill uh, called a reparative therapy for young people who are having homosexual impulses or feelings. The law makes it illegal for a counselor or therapist in California to counsel a minor away from homosexuality, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I, I covered a lot of legislation when I was a reporter and, and interviewed a lot of legislators, and they're pretty bright people. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, uh, it's it's just been the norm for more than 200 years in the United States. When there's a law like that, they used to be aware that most Americans are religious, Mm -hmm. and they would put in religious exemption clauses. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, this reparative therapy bill that was signed into law a year ago specifically did not have an exemption clause. Mm -hmm. And if you look back at the committee meetings and the development of the bill, the reason was because they're targeting Christian counselors and Christian families. They're targeting… Um, a family that might have a 16-year-old son who's a Christian family—they want to go to a Christian counselor because he's having same-sex attractions. Mm-hmm. This law is written so that it is now illegal for that counselor to counsel the 16-year-old away from those. There is no religious exemption. There's no exemption for any kind of beliefs. And um, of course, it was challenged by some Christian groups, and um, it was upheld mm-hmm. uh, by by the courts in California. So it is now the law of the land in by California. By upheld,
0: you mean the 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 Uh, the discriminatory part of it was upheld. Yeah, the entire
2: thing. Yeah. You know, it was challenged, and so it was kind of put on pause. Yeah. and then the whole thing was upheld. It's now enacted. Mm-hmm. Um, it just within the last couple weeks in California, um, one bill was passed, signed mm-hmm. into law. It'll we'll probably go through that same little process mm-hmm. of being challenged, likely upheld, and another one was drafted. I'll tell you about the one that was passed. is called the bathroom bill.
0: Yeah, that's right. We we <laughs> okay. covered flowers and we covered cake, but we still haven't gone to yeah, the bathroom yet. Yeah, that's
2: right. <laughs> so you know, the bathroom bill is for uh, you know. Training Transgendered young people in the state of California. And it, it states that, you know, if a boy who's 13, no matter what his biology is, no matter how he was born physically, if he identifies as a girl, then in the state of California, that school or college or university must let him use the girl's bathroom, the girl's locker room, the girl's showers, and play on a girl's sports team. So, uh, you know, this is an LGBT movement law, and from their worldview, from mm-hmm. the way they see things, this is just justice for this person who was born into the wrong
0: body because the the, the issue here, and we actually are planning to do a future podcast on this issue because I think most Christians don't appreciate it at all, and that is in the culture, the issue of sexual identity is has become a discussion of choice as opposed to being focused on an action. And so that is becomes a big difference.
2: Oh, and that's such a huge part when we get into the solutions of of um, you know thriving for Christ in our culture is mm-hmm. understanding that we're often speaking a different language. Mm-hmm. The word homosexual to us might overlap a little bit with what some of these unbelievers are thinking of when they hear the word, but they're thinking of a person's identity that's mm-hmm. not a choice that they're born with. We're often thinking of a physical act. Mm-hmm. And so um, if we want to dialogue with the culture, if we want to reach them for Christ, obviously we we don't compromise our beliefs, but we do need to take the time to listen and understand what they're saying, what they mean. And so, man, issues like this uh, you know, are so heated. Uh, because for for a lot of well-intentioned unbelievers, this is an issue of this person's human rights. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, speaking as someone who's from the media, I mm-hmm. mean, I, I was the liberal media, <laughs> you know, I, I yeah. didn't ever really write for, for Christian publications. I was in the mainstream uh, and probably kind of the left mainstream as far as the publications I was writing for, not my own beliefs, mm-hmm. but that's where God had called me. And, you know, even as someone from those circles, as I've seen the stories come out about this bathroom bill, mm-hmm. the vast majority of them say the state of California passed landmark legislation to enshrine the rights of transgendered young people in California. Mm-hmm. Well, just the way that's written, right? if you disagree with it, you're a bigot. You're right, prejudiced. Right. And these are a lot of my, you know, former colleagues, people I respect. They're writing from their worldview. Right. And this is the world that we live in, and that we we do need to understand now. And so, uh, so there's the bathroom bill in California uh, signed into law a couple weeks ago. The newest one um, is just in committee right now. It's in process of becoming a bill. It passed its first committee, and it's called, uh, in slang, the anti-Boy Scouts bill. Hmm. And what it is, is if you remember when the Boy Scouts earlier this year were trying to decide, can homosexual boys be be Boy Scouts? Mm-hmm. And it was a big decision for them and a lot of controversy. Well, legislators in the state of California, many who are LGBT themselves, told the Boy Scouts, we're going to write a law that if you if you don't let young people be homosexual, we're going to write a law that you lose your nonprofit status. Hmm. Well, regardless of what the Boy Scouts chose, they've pursued this law. Mm-hmm. It's, now, it's now being drafted. It passed its first committee and this is a law that targets youth groups. That's how, hmm. that's how it's worded. Mm-hmm. It targets youth groups um, and in their terminology, if you discriminate for gender identity, or homosexuality you will lose your nonprofit status you know, again there is no exception
0: for being a christian youth group right you know what's strange odd about this to me is is that the very restriction of rights that the group putting forward these laws was complaining against they're being the victims of in the past they've now reversed the tables it's like it's like nothing's been learned from the process about you know, when I think about what a democracy is about and what our what our culture is about, what people fight for, if you want to think about it even that way, it, it is the right to have a, an open public square of ideas in which people have convictions and they're allowed to live them out. And the idea that because I think something and then act out of that is somehow restricted, um, to me, is a, it, it's putting us in an odd place. As when we when we tout ourselves as a defender of democracy, it is, and I I think a lot of
2: um, a a lot of us who've studied it um, and others a lot smarter and more studied than I am see the the sort of backlash against Christians. It's a pendulum swing. Mm -hmm. It's a uh, there are groups that are minority groups that. I think this ties back in with inflated. Mm -hmm. Here's the evangelicals, they're these big, Mm broad-shouldered, rich, um, close-minded bigots who've been oppressing these groups for years. Mm -hmm. Well, now the the tables have turned and now we have power, so we're gonna get them back. And if they're not gonna toe our line, will take away their nonprofit status. Yeah. And, and obviously, that's not everyone's motive, right. um, but that seems to be a spirit of the age, not just with obvious groups like the LGBT group, but actually with, I would say, many Americans in my generation mm-hmm. um, who are just non-believing. They're not in necessarily the LGBT group. They're just um, – they're post-Christian, and they. They kind of want to see justice against, yeah, the powerful and, and it hides authority. behind
0: a claim that the law is neutral or secularized or doesn't see. Religious differences, that kind of thing, but it also seems to negate the impact of freedom of religion. So I think it's a, it's an interesting area. It it actually is a topic. It's another one of these topics we'd like to come back to yeah. in the podcast because I think it's a topic all unto itself in terms of uh, a sign of where the culture is going. And and in, in saying this, I want to be clear. In saying this, you, it's it's not a complaint as much as it's an observation.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And,
0: and I need to be really careful about that. Yeah. Um, um, you know,
2: the the book points out, and, and we need to remind ourselves repeatedly of the Scripture, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not at war with any group of people, mm-hmm. and it's easy to fall into that. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think right now that's the narrative of our culture, mm-hmm. is that conservative Christians and the LGBT movement are enemies. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's so important that we remind ourselves these folks, e- even if they oppress us, e- even if some group in the culture persecutes us, they're not our enemy. Our enemy is, uh, is unseen. Uh, it's, it's, it's supernatural and it's unseen force. And um, everyone who doesn't yet know Christ is a slave of his, and he'll use unbelievers against God's people but ultimately those unbelievers are never our enemy they're the hostages we've been sent here to love them and to rescue them and so we got to be careful that as we observe these realities we don't fall into a narrative that that these people are our enemies these are people who we love and who Christ loves desperately and gave his life for we want to reach them with the gospel
0: and and so there's a, uh, the way I like to say this cuz I think it's an important point is there's – you know, the gospel is ultimately about an invitation. Mm-hmm. It's a good news that offers an invitation. Second Corinthians, you know, has says – Paul says, you know, our message to the world is we beg you be reconciled to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, so we're looking at, at, at an invitation and extending a hand. Now that doesn't mean that extended hand doesn't have to deal with reality and have some challenges wrapped up mm-hmm. in it. It does. But in the end, your goal is not to win a – Win a war. Your goal is to win a person. That's right. And 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 so to do that, it's very very important how we put this all together. We spent a lot of time talking about where the culture is, and um, and uh, probably some people are pretty depressed.
2: Uh,
0: (laughs) uh, But uh, let's let's take a look at the flip side now. How how do you uh, encourage the church? to engage in light of these realities. What are some of the right. high points uh, 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 that we could focus on in terms of how, what the response should be? We've already talked a little bit about one, and that is avoiding getting trapped in, into the pursuit of a war in such a mm-hmm. way that the very people you're trying to reach are viewed as the enemy and you almost put them at arm's length. Um, how, do you, how do you help people do that well? Um, uh, I know you talked a little bit yesterday about about how we view sin and and uh, being careful to be sure that we communicate how we all fall short mm-hmm. and all have a need as opposed to there being a special categories. Why don't you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, so you know it's because of this kind of warring narrative that's mm-hmm. going on in our society. It's very natural in our human nature and in some of the circles that some of us were raised in to to view Uh, some groups of sinners as a worse class of sinners. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Romans chapter 1, which does talk about the consequences of our sin and what happens in a society when it continually turns its back on God, I think sometimes it's misunderstood or misinterpreted to mean that, well, this class of sin is worse. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and I don't think many of us would say that, but we often act like it. And we need to examine, really, that theology. Mm -hmm. You know, did Jesus ever say that one Kind of sin was, you know, worse than other. In fact, you got to ask that
0: question in Luke thirteen, and in Luke thirteen, he makes the point, you know, unless you repent, you likewise will perish. So the issue is not determining which sin is worse, but to understand that we're all accountable to God. We're all equally accountable to God. We're equally accountable to God, even though the way in which we fall short may differ in different areas, and we tend to. To spot those areas where we behave, but we also uh, tend to have blind spots in those areas where we don't. And that's exactly what the Pharisees did. Mm -hmm. You know, you you can find
2: uh, almost lists in the Bible of which sins are worse, but they come from the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. You know, for the Pharisees, it was. the sins they didn't struggle with conveniently mm-hmm. were the worst ones mm-hmm. to be a tax collector or a prostitute. Mm-hmm. So, when Jesus started hanging out with those people and eating with them, it just blew the Pharisees' minds. Mm-hmm. And uh, But Jesus, we know, didn't talk in this kind of um, grading on a curve, mm-hmm. sin lens. He uh, talked about two categories, you know, you're either a child of God or child of Satan. Mm-hmm. You're either in the light or you're in the dark. You're mm-hmm. either on the, the narrow road. Or you're on the wide road. Uh, you're either a sheep or a goat, a wheat or a tear. Uh-huh. This is how Jesus um, thinks. This is spiritual reality. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is Romans chapter 6, mm-hmm. that um, – well, first of all, Romans 3, that we're all separated from God by our sin. We've all fallen short. And then Romans 6, that none of us uh, – we're all slaves to sin apart from God. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the more I really What the book does, The Great Evangelical Recession, we make these observations, but then we try to press into Scripture knowing that, you know, in Christ we have everything necessary Mm -hmm. for life and godliness. His Word is going to give us all the wisdom we need to thrive in this culture. Mm -hmm. And um, it helps, I think, for the first half of the book to see where we are. Then you you see the New Testament in some new light. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's one of them is Romans 6. You know, Lord… Uh, forgive us if we ever think that because you saved us by grace, we're somehow better mm-hmm. than someone else. We've gotten a long way from Paul who said, I'm the chief of sinners. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, none of us has the power to resist sin apart from the gospel, and it's actually an affront to the cross, You know, mm-hmm. it's an affront to the gospel and to the blood of Jesus and the cross for us to tell people, hey, act better, be better, be mm-hmm. more righteous in mm-hmm. your own strength. It, that's that just doesn't line up with the gospel. The gospel message is, repent and come to Christ. He'll set you free. Mm-hmm. He'll after that your life changes. Um, but when we just tell people change your life, whether or not you believe in Christ, what we're saying doesn't really line up with the Book of Romans for sure.
1: God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture.
0: Now, another topic that came up was the whole issue of cultural mandate that people, uh, that Christians have this mandate to change the culture. And we've actually done several podcasts Mm -hmm. that deal with this in one way or another. We had Andy Crouch come in who said, you know, thinking about culture making and and what that means, we tend to think globally, but really there's a local dimension to culture making and the way we we impact life and impact human flourishing that also impacts and changes culture, and Christians don't think enough about that. Now, that's one dimension Mm -hmm. of the conversation. But uh, in the discussion of your book, uh, this topic came up about, well, there's a cultural mandate, so how do you – How do you um, engage a culture that's hostile to you on the one hand, and at the same time uh, stand up for your convictions? Uh, Isn't that going to be inherently confronting? And so, I mean, isn't there a sense in which there's no choice, or is there another way? Well, it's true that you
2: know the the gospel's a stumbling block. Um, There is going to be a point of conflict inevitably. I I think our problem, if you could call it that, is we we tend to, to lead with that. Mm-hmm. And we know better when we go into foreign cultures, foreign tribes in Africa or Papua New Guinea, when we send missionaries into those very foreign tribes, we know better than to just show up and say, hey, your polygamy's wrong, your cannibalism's wrong, here's the Ten Commandments, repent and be saved. Mm-hmm. We know better than to just show up and do that. Uh, we know uh, the great missionaries that we have around the world right now, they go in, they demonstrate an unconditional love through actions. They'll mm-hmm. dig a well or they'll build a clinic. This is what 1 Peter 2 says when it says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That same word good is what is used in Matthew 5 when Jesus says, let your light so shine. Mm-hmm. you know, Shine in the darkness that men will see your good deeds and glorify the Father. So, we know this when we go into a what is visually – an obviously foreign culture. We know you start with good deeds, you take the time to learn the language, you build a relationship, and then on that foundation, you present the gospel. And then those who accept the gospel, you disciple, and their their lifestyles are going to change rapidly because now they're free from sin.
0: So part of the assumption that you're working with here is is that you're sufficiently engaged with those who may need to be challenged that you've established a level of of trust for that engagement, as opposed to just kind of coming in as an outsider and, and shaking your finger with no connections uh, tied to the person. Fair fair analogy. That's
2: right, and I think we'd all agree that you know, nine times out of ten or more, that's going to fail mm-hmm. in in a foreign tribe in Africa or New Guinea. What we have failed to recognize is that as culture has rapidly changed in the last 20 years, a lot of our neighbors in America who speak English mm-hmm. – are from radically foreign tribes, mm-hmm. and we need to to do the same thing really that Jesus did. You know, mm-hmm. he didn't love us from a distance. First John four, you know, we love him because he first loved us. Uh, As Philippians two, he humbled himself. He came down into our darkness, and mm-hmm. he took the time. To, to become one of us mm-hmm. and without compromising His righteousness. Mm-hmm. And so if we're going to follow Christ to foreign tribes, we get that overseas, and, and uh, I'm essentially calling us for a paradigm shift that we recognize a lot of our neighbors in our workplaces, in our family reunions, mm-hmm. uh, living on the same street, um, they are now from foreign tribes. And if we just show up and just, you know, wag our finger in their face and say, repent, uh, it's not going to be any more effective here than it would be in Africa. Um, but if we follow Christ's example, and I'm not saying do this because it works or do this yeah. because we're smart. I'm saying this this is what Jesus did. Mm-hmm. He humbled himself, became one of us, spent 30 years with us uh, walking on this earth. And so in the same way, follow that example, apply First Peter 2, live such good lives among the pagans that they'll see your good deeds.
0: Yeah, I think this is one of the places where we really have uh, messed up on the cultural mandate. We've seen the cultural mandate as we've got to change the people on the outside and we just go and confront them. When in fact, one of the ways that I think you challenge the culture is by becoming your own. Uh, well-functioning community yourself mm-hmm. actually modeling what it is that you're talking about so you can say to someone you, know, you can see what this looks like come yeah. and see what our communities are like that kind of thing isn't this and then raise the question isn't this a better way to live Is't mm-hmm. this a better way to to conduct your lives that kind of thing and I think when we miss that we we, uh, we risk, um not having an example behind what we're doing i often like to tell students that if you watch the gospels you'll see jesus preach a message like he preaches the message in the synagogue in nazareth and he says you know i've come to release the uh to preach to the poor and to heal the sick and that kind of thing to preach the uh, the good news of the of the day of the lord of the day of the uh, of jubilee and and then the very next passage, he's out ministering in a way that reinforces the message. So that if you say God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, there actually is a way in which in which Jesus and his disciples ministered to the community that said, We really believe this and mm. you can see it in how we're interacting. And I think we've missed a little of that. Oh, I, I I think you're right on and you know, not
2: not trying to be negative, not trying to be critical. I mean, I'm you know, I know we're, we're all doing our best, right. but I agree, I think it's been a blind spot for many of us that we have thought that we can love from a distance. Mm-hmm. We've thought we can, you know, proclaim through a, a sign in our yard or whatever, mm-hmm. here's my stance. It comes across to you like, I completely oppose you, but I really love you, mm-hmm. and, and we're good to go. Mm-hmm. That's not what Jesus did. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't send down a message from heaven, hey, you know, you're all sinners, um, I'm opposed to you, but I love you. No, he, came, he came down among us mm-hmm. and, and showed that he loved us. And then explain our sin and our need for repentance.
0: So this discipleship that you're talking about, that the church needs to develop, needs to also challenge people to be engaged in such a way that they're actually, um, if I can say it this way, in and among people that they're trying to reach. getting to know them, ministering to them, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Is that is that part of what you have in mind?
2: Absolutely. And I just, you know, I, I've said it a few times, but I think that, that word in First Peter 2.12, live mm-hmm. such good lives among the pagans. There's mm-hmm. certain things from the, the New Testament paradigm where people are meeting in homes, they were a minority in the culture, mm-hmm. whether they're in Ephesus or Galatia or Corinth, there are certain things that were givens that sometimes for us aren't givens. And, and we got to, you know, look into God's word and be... Real about where we are and say, okay, you know, God really, it's a given that we're supposed to be among the pagans. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, for folks who are listening to the podcast, uh, I've been a pastor for almost five years now, a senior pastor. It is a lot harder for me to live among the pagans than when I was working in a newsroom. Mm-hmm. And I think those of us who are leading ministries, um, This is an important thing for us, and it's an important thing for us to be encouraging our people who seven days, well, five to seven days a week, are working Mm -hmm. among the pagans. Um, You know, we can't reach them if we're not among them. And
0: even our language has to be careful here because you've used a phrase a lot that that actually, I, I. I pause about, and that is it. when you're saying living among the pagans. You're talking about living among people who are unbelievers. You're talking about living among people who don't share our worldview. Mm-hmm. You're talking about living among people who, who, uh, who the culture, if I can say it that way, has shaped and formed in a certain way. If they've never had exposure to the church, you would you wouldn't think they'd be impacted by the church. So how are they going to get exposed to what the church represents? They can only get exposed to what the church represents by meeting people who. Who can reflect that to them in one way or another. That is
2: exactly right. And for very many of them, their only exposure to the church is on the headlines, mm-hmm. is on the news, right. is the lawn sign that says, I'm against this or that. And and so as a result, it, it furthers this kind of We're defined by what we're against, Mm -hmm. rather than what we're for, which is the good news and uh, the great news of the gospel.
0: If we keep a distance, then the risk is is that the stereotype gets um, gets affirmed because because of that distance, in part. Yeah, I'd,
2: I'd even go further to say, when we keep a distance, it it does. Uh, solidify the stereotype. Mm-hmm. I saw this uh, in one of the most secular newsrooms I worked in where no one else on mm-hmm. a pretty big staff, no one else was a, a serious Christian. A lot of homosexual uh, co-workers and, and a lot of just atheistic and agnostic um, secular co-workers when I came in as an evangelical Christian, um, they thought of evangelical Christians in the same category as Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses. They thought of evangelicals as um, abortion clinic bombers. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they thought I was going to be this really radical. Um, and I mean, I'm radical in my beliefs, but they thought I was going to be this really, um, you know, offensive, jagged-edged person. Mm-hmm. And and um, yeah, you know, those were really fun years, it was a privilege to get to work in that environment. And and that's probably why I use the word pagan so much, is mm-hmm. because they would all say, yeah, we're pagans. They, yeah. they knew they were pagans. <laughs> and uh, and a lot of them knew the facts of the gospel, uh-huh. but they had never met an agent of the gospel mm-hmm. who showed the grace, the love, the fruits of the Spirit, the mm-hmm. joy, the peace. They, they want that peace, mm-hmm. they want that joy, they want that contentment. Um, and I think that's you know what we're called to do, whether that's at our family reunions, um, in our neighborhood, for so many of the people in the American church, in our workplaces.
0: Now we're running short on time, so we, uh, we need to kind of pull this together. But there is one more topic that I want to uh, have you address, and that's um, what does this actually look like? What are you challenging people to do, both pastors and people in the pews, in terms of of how uh, how can they, should they be different in engaging uh, this culture? What are the types of things that you're saying to them?
2: Well, there are a number and um, you know, because of time yeah. I'll, I'll say uh, if you're able to get a copy of the book, yeah. The Great Evangelical Recession, I, I, I told all the uh, pastors who were with us yesterday at the conference, mm-hmm. you know, there are six trends of decline here, there's six solutions. Mm-hmm. If you try to leave here and implement all six solutions, you're gonna be really overwhelmed. You know, really yeah. pray about which of these one. And then I like to be really careful when implementing a solution. I think as Americans, we want here's the three-step model. This works universally, it's monolithic, and this 14 works. Fourteen months yeah. from now, this will, life will be completely different. <laughs> we want that. And yeah. and um instead we see in the Holy Spirit this dependence on the Holy Spirit from mm-hmm. Acts one verse eight to Acts nine, thirty-one where it says the church was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. He's the one who's going to empower us to be Christ's representatives. Um, The principles in the book, I think, uh, are foundational because they're from God's Word. They're Mm -hmm. not my ideas. The way they're going to flesh out is going to look a little different in different contexts. Mm -hmm. But I, I think some of these paradigm shifts, mm-hmm. one that we're not the majority, mm-hmm. and that brings a humility. Mm-hmm. And that brings a humility not only with our neighbors but before God mm-hmm. that says, Lord, our strength is not our um, our bank account, our strength is not our facilities. Our only strength is you. And, and if we don't get to that place in our hearts, you know, Scripture says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore before the Lord that He will lift you up. If we don't start there with mm-hmm. that paradigm shift of a desperate humility, God, unless you work, unless you show up, we're not going to reach the lost. Mm-hmm. We're not going to change the culture. We're not going to strengthen and encourage your church. We can't do it without you. That humility, these are, these are really deep, foundational paradigm shifts. Mm-hmm. Same thing with our, our unbelieving neighbors, whether they're LGBT, Muslim, or just agnostic, unbelieving, that we view them as people who God loves just as much as us mm-hmm. and who are enslaved in sin because all have sinned. Mm-hmm. And that we're that we really want to look at the way Jesus ate with sinners. We really want to live out 1 Peter 2. I think if we if we really in our hearts before God, say, God, I, I want to apply 1 Peter 2. Mm-hmm. I want to live a good life among the pagans. If we do that with a humility and ask him to empower us the same way that he empowered the church in Acts, he will enable us to do that. Um, and I wish it was, you know, do these three things. But I, I think that's where it starts is that humility before God and others.
0: And so this, this um, has the look, practically speaking, of actually uh, making the effort to engage in, mm-hmm. in ongoing relationships with people who, who, at one level, you might say, well, I don't have anything in common with them. So why should I do this? um uh and there was uh, a lot of encouragement about the kinds of relationships that you have and the way you build them and who you who you spend time with that kind of thing is a way of of, of building the bridges uh to represent God well is that a part of the equation as, as well
2: absolutely i mean we you know jesus came from heaven to earth from mm-hmm. the light came into the darkness john 1 And if we're serious about following him, we're going to go into the darkness as light. And uh, I think especially for those of us in vocational ministry, we have to be intentional about that. It's not going to happen by accident. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's some unbelievers who stop by and come to our ministries, but unless we get out there and really engage, and I'd say surprise some of these groups that think, that we should hate them, think we do hate them. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go out without compromising the truth. Let's also be people like Jesus who are full of grace and, and demonstrate God's love with actions.
0: Now, you shared a little bit about, and this is probably the last thing we have time for, you shared a little bit of how you spend your own time to make this happen. Why don't you? Share a little bit about that. So, how do you how do you make this work?
2: Yeah, one thing I've noticed uh, as a now as a vocational minister, it's is a lot harder. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Jesus says, "Don't hide your light under a bushel." A lot of us work in a bushel. You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> we wake up in the morning, we drive to the bushel. It's a church building, right? And we work there. And uh, so, you know, one of the very simple things I do is uh, two days a week I work at a at a coffee shop mm-hmm. and intentionally um, one where some pretty different tribes hang out. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's not an accident that that's where I go. Mm -hmm. And I go there very aware that if they find out that I'm a pastor, if they talk to someone else and say, oh, yeah, he's a pastor, they're going to have some prejudged stereotypes about me. Mm -hmm. My goal is not ultimately to get them to like me, but Mm -hmm. my goal is to show them Christ's love and grace in a way that sets them up to also show them God's truth. Romans 10, um, you know, salvation only comes by hearing. And um, these, good, these good deeds are only a foundation to uh, ultimately explain the good news.
0: Well, uh, this has been fascinating, and time has flown by, and, and we've covered a lot. Uh, and I'm sure this is a topic that isn't going away, uh, so I may uh, I may hold out uh, an invitation for you to come back and maybe by Skype uh, follow up on some of this more down the road as we see how things progress. But I really appreciate, John, your willingness to come in and talk with us about this and to talk about uh, kind of where we are and where we need to go, and and, and at such an individualized level. You know, this wasn't a a, a scrape the Milky Way and look at how evangelical looks, what evangelical looks like from fifty five thousand feet. This was, uh, this is what it looks like when your boots are very Mm -hmm. much on the ground. And so, uh, thank you very much for coming in and talking with us, and we thank you for joining us at the table where we discuss issues of God and culture.
1: Thanks for listening to the Table Podcast.
0: Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.